0: Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. From time to time, I still have folks that meet me for the first time, and they say something like, boy, you sure do look young to be a priest. <laughs> Most of y'all are already used to it by now, you And I almost always answer something like, you think I look young now? You should have seen me nine years ago when I was first ordained. (laughs) Or maybe even back when I first went to seminary. I was about 21 years old when I began my formal discernment process to the priesthood. It was the summer of my junior year in college when I first talked to my rector about this nagging feeling that I had had since I was about 12 years old. I was 22 when my discernment committee met. It was the summer after I graduated from college. I was engaged to be married. My fiance had just finished her first year of graduate school. And that whole year in college, we were doing cross-country wedding planning <laughs> while I was finishing my senior year of college. I do not recommend cross-country wedding planning. (laughs) Complicated. We both moved back to Austin for the summer. I back into the old room that I grew up in at my parents' house, Shiloh into a small student apartment near UT campus. In the discernment process to the priesthood in the Episcopal church, you have to jump through multiple hoops of fire, kind of like being a circus performer, really. Once you have met with your local committee, then you go to meet with the Diocesan Commission on Ministry, and after that, if you get the thumbs up, then you have to go meet with the standing committee and eventually the bishop. And at some point, while you are applying to seminary, you also have to find the time to go get a psychological evaluation and a physical. There was a point in this process, it may have been toward the end of my time in seminary, when I inadvertently came across my psychological evaluation. (laughs) I do not think that I was ever supposed to have read this document, but it had been left out on a desk somewhere, and I innocently picked up the document that had my name on it and started reading it an introductory paragraph read something like, the candidate looks extremely young. (laughs) He is wearing an oversized button-up shirt. He is wearing a pair of Converse Chuck Taylor high tops with holes in them. I observed no particularly strong leadership qualities in him. (laughs) I immediately put the paper down like I had been bitten by a snake. I was devastated. I had been striving and striving. I had been in leadership classes in college. I worked hard. In school to graduate cum laude. I worked summer jobs to pay off debt. I knew that God was calling me to the priesthood, but here was a document that proved what I had always feared about myself that I wasn't ready, that I was insufficient and unworthy. As I was thinking about this and and wrestling with this, I found comfort in the first chapter of the book of the prophet Jeremiah where Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a boy for you shall go to all whom I send you and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Thankfully, the document that I had read was not the only criterion for me getting into seminary. People who believed I was called and at least teachable continued to take many risks on me. I can remember sitting in Bishop Harrison's office while she was eyeing me from across her desk. You have a lot of student debt, she said. That can be a big liability at seminary. But she still permitted me to enter into the seminary next fall. Throughout the process of seminary, I learned and I grew, served as a hospital chaplain intern, a requirement that all Episcopal seminarians have to fulfill. (coughs) I knew two things. I knew I was called, and I knew I was unworthy. All I could do was present myself as a small mustard seed In the hopes that Jesus would pick me up, plant me, grow me, and help me to become the ambassador of God's kingdom that he created me to be. I love this passage from 2 Timothy that we hear today from Paul's letter where he says, Join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to His own purpose and grace. Today Jesus is speaking to His disciples. They are on the road that leads to Jerusalem and He has been giving them hard teachings for several chapters like those long few weeks in the classroom before the final exam. Right before our passage, Jesus Jesus is talking to them about how to live in community with one another. And he says to them, be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive It's at that point that our passage begins when the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. The subtext being everything you're saying to us sounds like a really tall order. In fact, impossible. At the beginning of our passage today, Jesus essentially tells them not to get discouraged and reminds them that just a little bit of faith goes a very long way. If you... But had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. According to one scholar, mustard plants were notorious for sort of taking over once they were planted, even though they had very small seeds. But once they took root, these very small seeds would sprout and grow quickly and displace all the other plants around so before long you'd have a whole garden of mustard plants where there were none before. Jesus here is saying to the apostles, all that God requires for the building up of the kingdom is a very small amount of faith in our hearts. And the kingdom will spread, supplanting mulberry bushes and all other plants that get in its way because it is God who makes the growth Christian discipleship is not an easy business and following Jesus can sometimes feel like a thankless task. Jesus asks a lot of us and we as his current day disciples can sometimes feel like we are not up to the challenge. We go out into the field to the work to do the work he has given us to do not because we are particularly ready or particularly skilled, or particularly holy, or pious, or faithful. We go out in the field of this world not because we are looking for praise, or prizes, or commendation, not because we crave status, or power, or wealth. We do it because we are called to follow. We do it because we are called to share the good news of the gospel. We offer ourselves as unformed clay, as tiny seeds, in the hopes that Christ has a vision for what we will become. In the hopes that Christ has a vision for how our lives can be poured out in the service of the kingdom of God. Some of you all have heard of the message a paraphrase of the gospel by a Presbyterian pastor, Eugene Peterson. Sometimes his renderings of the gospel stories can be helpful to us in our understanding of of the texts. And I like the way that Peterson translates this passage, the, the end of this passage, where he says, Does the servant get special thanks for doing what's expected of him? It's the same with you. When you've done everything expected of you be matter of fact and say, the work is done. What we were told to do, we did. At the end of the day, my prayer for all of us as His workers in the vineyard, my prayer for all of us as inheritors of this gospel in our own generation is that we might be able to say, the work is done. What we were told to do, we did. Amen.